Bible says, I am the Lord, your God, who makes you holy. So when we come before the Lord and we say we want to be holy, we don't come in our own, right? We don't come in our own self-righteousness. We don't try to, to make it happen. We work it out because of the Holy Spirit inside of us working through us. The blood of Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Some of you might be in here this morning, you think that there's just something you've done or something going on in your heart that's just been too grand for the grace of God, and that's a lie. That's a lie. So what we find is we're, we're covered, we're cleansed, we're justified by the blood of Christ, and then the indwelling spirit, the Holy Spirit within us, that's what causes us to live holy lives. But it's not just doing the right thing, and I'll, I'll say it later maybe, but holiness for Christ followers means that you have been declared holy by the holy God and set apart for a holy purpose. That's what that is. So Father, this morning I just pray that as we come to you, our hearts would be open, our minds would be open to receive. Lord, our hands and feet would be surrendered to be emissaries and ambassadors of love and grace around us in a topsy-turvy, upside-down world. Father, this morning, I pray that resistance to the word of God would be broken. I pray, God, that those things that, that would come to distract us, those barriers that would want to stop the word of God from getting into us would, would be demolished in the name of Jesus. And we would just be open today to receive the grace, the love, the truth that you have for us. Lord, we certainly do lift up our nation during these days. Lord, we, we see a divided house. And yet we trust, Lord, we, we keep going back to you, you with all things uh, it's possible for God. There's nothing impossible for you. Lord, we certainly recognize that there's sickness uh, in the county, and we pray for healing and health. We lift up those, Lord, as it was prayed earlier, who are in positions of authority, and particularly, Lord, that you would raise up godly men and women in places of in the schools and in public affairs. And Lord, we just really speak blessing and protection over our first responders, the things that they're having to see and do during these days, whether they're running an ambulance or they're with law enforcement, wherever they might be, God, we pray for them this morning. And I also feel led to pray for someone who's um, got an esophagus, kind of an esophagus issue, something's going on in your esophagus. So um, peop, mo most everyone's eyes are closed. If that's you or someone you know, could you raise your hand for me so I can, okay, one, two, perfect, perfect, thank you, thank you. Father, you saw um, the hands of these people. And Lord, I thank you. I, I, I go back to scripture. When the centurion said, just speak the word, speak the word. So according to the power that we have, because we're Christ followers, Lord, we speak healing. Lord, in, in these, these folks who raise their hands, we bind the sickness in the esophagus in the name of Jesus, and we loose the power, the healing power of the Holy Spirit. We say that, that illness has no place in their esophagus. We pray, Lord, instead healing to every part of their body. And we pray, Lord, that they would be healed in Jesus' name, and we thank you for that. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Thank you, worship team. Do you want me to play the whole time again? Just praise and worship. 
You can do whatever you want. <laughs> you said we have freedom here. He's always doing this to me. Continue. <laughs> keep playing. Keep playing. <laughs> this morning, I want to continue on the theme of um, living for Jesus in difficult times. In particularly, living victoriously for Jesus in difficult times. And... Um, I was walking the other day in the neighborhood, and, and I, I met up with somebody, and we just started talking, and they were angry. They were livid at the things that are just going on in their life, issues just that are personal issues that aren't going well, but angry, angry with the elections, angry with COVID, angry with the economy, just really literally fit to be tied. They, it was like in a rage. Talked to someone else recently, and they were just felt, it was more like being despondent, just kind of a sense of despondency at what was going on, almost feeling deflated. And it's no, it's no surprise to any of us that we are living in difficult times. And, and during these times, we can become distracted, we can become discouraged, we can become spiritually lazy and apathetic. We can lose our hope. We can actually misplace our hope. In other words, we're putting our hope in other things and, and other people other than Christ. And in fact, it can be so difficult that for some people, unfortunately, too, they, they even leave the faith. They, they, they walk from Christ. And yet Jesus warned us, he said that we would have these times. He even described the times. And he told us to be ready. And he said, you're going to have intense pressure. But he said that in him we would overcome, and he told us to take heart. He told us to, to look up, to lift up our heads, to be ready. He said, because when you see this stuff happening, just know that, that the return of Christ, your salvation, is near Amen. <laughs> it, there's a whole lot of, sh you know the old song, a whole lot of shaking going on. And there are a lot of things shaking right now. I, I shared it last week in, in the book of Haggai and in the book of Hebrews. It talks about a shaking. In the book of Haggai, it talks how God is shaking the nations. And in that shaking of the nations, he is showing himself to be the Lord God Almighty, and he's actually filling his temple or his church with glory. And in the book of Hebrews, it says that God is shaking the things that are shakable. Systems of man, habits, uh, sins, mindset. That is, here's what you do. <laughs> think of, intentionally think of three things each day that you're thankful for. And then articulate it. Now, why is that important? It's important because in Scripture it says... They who offer thank offerings honors me, being God. When we thank God, those are offerings. Sometimes it's a sacrifice to thank Him. Sometimes it's a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes we thank Him for what we're waiting for that we haven't seen, that we've been longing for. But we thank Him, and here's the thing. They who offer thank offerings honors me, and I will show them the way of salvation. So do you see that when you're thanking God, 
It actually leads to salvation. Not just the kind of salvation that we're talking about where you're redeemed and saved by Christ, but day in and day out. Lord, how do I deal with the pressure of what's going on? Lord, how do I deal with the economy? Lord, how do I deal with sickness? Lord, how do I, how do I, how do When we thank Him in advance, and when we continue to thank Him, it's a, what brought Adam and Eve down, one of the things was they were ungrateful. They weren't thankful. God, you're holding out on us. So I'm going to give you a minute, I want, and I mean this, just a minute, because this isn't what we're going to look at today. I want you to just sit there. I'm not going to put anybody... Think of three things you're thankful for, and don't take forever. They ought to come right to your mind. Three things that you're thankful for, and then just tell someone right next to you. Go ahead. Three things you're thankful for. Big things, little things, things you're waiting on, God. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Anyone want to share what you're thankful for? You can just shout it out. Praise God. Amen. Good deal. Good deal. We, we prayed for Harlow. You're thankful for your wife. Good man. Oh, come. Thank, yes. May that be a first fruit of a youth movement in our county. Amen. <laughs> Who else? Cliff Wass. We're thankful for Cliff Wass. <laughs> Who else? Family. Friends. Faith. Your church. Wisdom. That we live in such a beautiful place. Uh, thank you for Addie's family. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Okay. Amen. Amen. Our unalienable rights. I want us today to go over to the book of Galatians, and we're going to look at seven principles, seven truths. I'm I just really feel led to do a series on how to live victoriously for Christ in difficult times. The background on the book of Galatians is that Paul had set up this church in what would now be Turkey, and obviously the message of the gospel is that we're saved, we're made righteous as we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I mean, it's by grace and faith that we're saved, right? And, and so the church is established, they're doing good, but then there were these false teachers going behind Paul, and they were Judaizers, and they were saying, well, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah, but you still have to follow the Jewish law. You have to follow the Jewish ceremonial systems, all of these other things. Now, the moral, the moral law of God will always remain, but there were ceremonies and things that just were now obsolete because the old pointed to the new. And so they were going behind Paul, and they were undermining, and they were really putting this church in a sense of spiritual bondage because the church had been walking in freedom and, and walking close to Jesus, filled with the Spirit, because they believed and they trusted in what he did. But then people were saying, oh, no, you've got to do this, 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 this is what you do. And Jesus. But it's not Jesus alone. It's a false gospel. And so today we're going to look at seven truths, and here's the thing. 
I'm not going to go into them really deep. But what I would like you to do, or would hope that you would do, is when you go back home, at some point, go through them again. Right? We can only do so much on a Sunday morning. I hear people a lot go, why have I never heard this in church? And why have I never heard that in church? And why don't they preach on this in church? And why don't they preach on that in church? And I'm like, why don't you grab the Bible and study it? Take responsibility for your own discipleship. There's only so many Sundays in a month, folks. So I'm going to ask you to go back through, think about it, do the math. Seven truths, seven days, take one a day till we meet together again next week. All right. Galatians chapter 2, beginning at verse 16. Hey, all right, yet we know that a person is made right by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law, and we believe that in Christ Jesus, so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. The first principle is this, you know you're saved. The first principle is salvation. It's the gospel. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's grace. We are made right when we put our faith and our trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, when he's our Lord and our Savior. See, what happens, what he says is we know that a person is made right, and that means we are right. We are justified. Not only justify and not sin, but I am right as rain before God. In Christ, I am saved, I am safe, and I am secure. And because of this relationship in Christ, it gives us perspective. This life isn't all there is. In fact, this life, according to Scripture, is nothing more than a vapor or a mist compared to eternity. So in light of eternity, in light of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, what we are going through now according to an apostle that was severely persecuted, says it's a light and momentary affliction compared to what God has for us. So while it sounds like a no-brainer, the first truth or the first principle in living victoriously for Christ in difficult times is to be in Christ, to be saved, to be safe, saved, and secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when we do that, we have hope. We have hope and we have security. Does that make sense? Okay. Are you sure? Thank you, Dave. Glad to see you with your eyes open during the service today. That's not <laughs> we are friends. I'm thankful for Dave. So the first, the very first principle, while it seems like a no-brainer, is salvation. Are you saved? Because if you're not in Christ, this would seem very overwhelming. For many Christians, what we're going through today is overwhelming. I don't see how you can look at the world today without being in Jesus and not just be hopeless. But in Christ, now, we have hope and perspective. All right, let's move on. Let's go to chapter 2 and look at the second principle, verse 20. Paul says, my, now I want you to notice how personal this is. Paul doesn't word, use words like we and our. He uses words like my and I. And when you do that, we learn from our Bible studies, when you highlight, when you circle words, now this is personal. 
It's not your mom's salvation or your auntie's salvation. It's you and how you work out your salvation. So look what he says. He says, my old self, that's the previous self. That's before he came to Christ. The Bible says we were without God. We were without hope. Now, certainly there's that flesh or sinful nature too. But so what's he saying? Look, he says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. In other words, that old person, that unredeemed person has been crucified with Christ. He says, it is no longer I who live. Look at this. But Christ lives in me. Scripture says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. And so what Paul is saying is, look, there's this continuous sacrifice uh, crucifying, if you will, of, of just the stuff we deal with, deal with in the sinful nature. And that's going to go on until we meet Jesus, right? And crucifixion's a slow death. But what Paul is saying is, I'm a new creation. Notice he, he says, that old person has been. That, you know what? Your old self is a has-been. So he says, that old self's been crucified. It's dead. I'm a new creation in Christ. And then he says, and here's the deal. Christ lives in me. So when we're facing the craziness of the world, quit looking at it like you're doing it through your own self-sufficiency, self-righteous eyes. It's Christ in you. And then he says, so I live, and live doesn't mean exist. He says, I live. Jesus says, I've come to give you life, life abundantly. He didn't say, I came to give you an existence. He says, I've come to give you life. I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. And so Paul says, I live in this earthly body, how? By trusting. By trusting in the Son of God. So, the way we live this out is through faith. And then notice he understands the character of the one who gave himself. He says, look, he says, by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He goes, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. He says, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no reason for Christ to die. The second principle is living the life with Christ living in you and through you and a life of grace. This is about life and grace. This is about that dead old person being gone, but what we saw Callie do today Went the whole point, being, going, being dead to self and arising new in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is about a response to grace. Third principle. This one doesn't need hardly any explanation. Next chapter, chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Paul says, oh foolish Galatians. Now that word I looked up. In the Greek, in this particular verse, it means unintelligent. That's what it means. Now, they must have done something pretty stupid because he's a father in the faith. He loves these people. He would give his life for them, yet he's calling them unintelligent. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you or bewitched you? for the Look at this. For the meaning of Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. In other words, you understand the gospel? Who's tricked you? Look at this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Now notice, 
He's already assumed that they have received the Holy Spirit. You know you can reject the Holy Spirit. You can quench the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. Denominations have done a great job at that. They've done a terrific job at telling you just to read more and more scripture and try hard. And that the Holy Spirit is only for crazy charismatics. But that's a lie. And it's been a huge disservice. Paul is saying, did you receive the Holy Spirit, which implies they had. And he says, by obeying the law of Moses. Of course not. You received the Holy Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. Now, here's, here it is. Again, verse 3 doesn't take a lot of explanation. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? So the question for all of us is this. Where have we started with Christ? Where have we depended on him so much? Where have we relied on him? Yes, I come to Jesus. It's grace and it's faith. But then here's what happens. If we're not careful, we start sliding into our own self-effort. We start sliding into our own self-righteousness. If we're not careful, we start following a worldview that's different than Jesus. And maybe it's something that just takes us off kilter a little bit. You know, if, 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 if I'm off, if I've got, if I want to go over here, and I just start off a little bit off right here, by the time I get, I'm way over here. And so if we can just get off a little bit by, you know what, you don't even think about Jesus. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Paul's saying, you started with Christ, now why are you trying to perfect this thing by your human effort? It's one of the few, if not the only religion in the world, it's only grace, it's a relationship. There's not religious practices. You don't have to go 1,200 miles and bow down on the ground. You don't have to chant for endless hours. You don't have to burn thousands of candles. You don't have, it's faith in Christ. And we'll get to it a little bit later, it, faith in action, okay. So I guess what I would ask you is this, where in your life have maybe you started with Christ, but now whatever situation you're finding yourself in, he's not been really included. You're trying to do it, you're trying to figure it out, trying to make it happen, all on your own effort and by your own self-righteousness. Fourth principle, chapter 3, verse 14. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing. What word did you hear come up a couple times? So we're, one of the things that we, if we understand, if we're studying, is this about part, in part about blessing. It's about living a life in blessing. So he says, through Christ, God has blessed the Gentiles, the non-Jews, with the same blessing he promised to Abraham. What was that? Covenant relationship. Everlasting life. To be their God. To be a friend. So he says, through Christ, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham. So that we who are believers. Now, this is only for believers. This isn't for those that aren't. 
we who believers, look at, might receive the promise. Say with me the promise. The promise. The promised Holy Spirit through faith. You know, when someone promises something, it's, it, it could be bad, but it's usually really good. When God promises you something, here's the thing. His promises are good. The Bible says they're yes and amen. We can depend upon the promises of God. We can use the promises of God as spiritual armor. We can value the promises of God as trustworthy. And we can receive the promises of God to live life in the blessing. And what did he promise us? He promised us his spirit. He promised us the Holy Spirit. Covenant. He promises forgiveness. He promises his presence. And so the fourth principle is receiving and living in the blessed promise of God by living life in the spirit. Number five. uh, Chapter four, verse seven. Now, what does now mean? Now. Now. It's in the present tense. It means now. Now. He says, now you are no longer slaves. What is that slave to? Slave to the power of sin and death. Slaves to, to old habits. Slaves to old mindsets. A slave, you're in bondage. In bondage to the devil. You're in bondage to the flesh. Anything that's contrary to God. Anything that's not life-giving. He says, you are no longer slaves, look at this, but God's own child. This is identity, right? Look at this. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. An heir to what? An heir to everlasting life. An heir to the kingdom. An heir to be with him throughout and for eternity. This is our position. We are children of God. No longer slaves to fear, no longer slaves to religious duties, no longer slaves to the power of sin and death, no longer, Danny Fluke told me this today, his mother passed away recently, and I said, how you doing with that? He says, you know, I grieve, but I don't grieve like people that don't have hope. My mom was a Christ follower. We're no longer slaves to these things. Now what happens is sometimes, just like the angel got Peter out of prison, you know, the chains come off. Sometimes we walk back into the prison and try to set the chains back on us. Oh, foolish bootjackians. Listen, who made us an heir? God did. We didn't. It was his design, his purpose, his desire, his doing. Now, for a child of God, what does that mean? What does that part of the air mean? It means that we have the Father's blessing. What is the Father's blessing? Really glad you asked. When you go to the book of Luke, and you, I think it's Luke 3, you see the baptism of Jesus. Now, the baptism of Jesus, what pertains to Jesus, pertains to us. When you went in today, what I'm about to tell you is true for you, Kelly. Here's the deal. Because the Bible says we are in Christ. We've, how many times did we read in Christ already this morning? So we are in relationship with Christ. The way Christ does it, we are not only in relationship, we are in with him, right? We are in Christ. So he is the, he is the firstborn, he is the first fruit, and promises that pertain to Christ, there are some promises that pertain to us. What happened at the baptism of Jesus? Jesus is in the water. What happens? The heavens open. There was an open heaven. 
You have, throughout eternity now, 24-7 access to Almighty God whenever you need and whenever you want. What's the next thing that happened? The Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove and rested. God's Spirit now rests upon you and in you. What else happened? Well, the voice from heaven said, you're my son. Voice from heaven today said, you're my daughter. And then what else did it say? I love you and with whom I'm well pleased. God not only loves you, he takes pleasure. And what's true for that young lady is true for every Christ follower in this room today. So we are no longer slaves, but we have now entered into the Father's blessing. Six, chapter four, beginning at, is that verse nine? Is that what I did? The next, yeah, four nine. Four nine, ten four, okay. So now that you know God, or should I say that now God knows you, look at, look at this, why do you want to go back again and become a slave once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? Now, in this context, they were trying to follow the law of Moses instead of trying to follow Jesus. The law of Moses was great, but it pointed us to the old covenant, pointed us to the new covenant. So in this context, he's saying, why are you trying to go back to weak and useless spiritual principles? But for you and me today, I think there's a really good question we have to ask ourselves. Since you know God, or should I say that God knows you, why do you want to go back and become a slave to the weak and useless principles of this world? What are the things we keep going back to? What are the weak and useless things of this world that we keep relying on? What is our backup plan to the Lord? Where are we looking more to the things of this world and the systems that this world has to offer? Are you just betting on your political party? Are you just betting on a vaccine? Are you just betting on your savings and your wealth and your guns and your bunkers and your cars and your, your mules and your boats and your this and your that and your yeah, 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 yeah. What are the weak things you go back to? And listen, I should, I, what are the weak things we go back to, right? Like I've always said, I get challenged in this, so you get to jump in on, on the joy with me. All right, last one, most important, till we meet again in Galatians. We got seven more in Galatians, but I figured 14 in one morning was too much, even for me. Chapter 5, verse 6. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. That was the, obviously the symbol of being a Jew, of being in the Old Covenant, right? So... For the sake of time, I'm not going to go into all that it meant. But, but Paul, well, here's what's more important. So he says, for when we place our faith in Christ, it, there's no benefit in ba basically in being a Jewish person or a non-Jewish person, having been circumcised or not. He says, look at <clears throat> What is important is faith expressing itself in love. And I like the way the NIV says it better. I, to me, it says, the only thing that counts, it says, 
is faith expressing itself in love. Faith is different than belief. The demons believe and shudder. The demons believe. They don't do anything about it. Faith means I act it out. Faith is a verb. Faith takes belief and puts it into action. So he says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. If you ever think about me and you ever think about me and want to pray for me, plead on my behalf for this one. Because sometimes it's hard to love. And yet, the Bible says the only thing that counts is faith expressing, doing, right, itself in love. In fact, Paul says, I can, I can be burned at the stake, I can speak with the tongue of angels, I can give all my money to the poor, I can preach the gospel, but if I have not love, I have nothing. I have gained nothing. It doesn't say the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in duty, in ritual, in obligation. It's faith expressing itself in love. Now go down to verse 13, because it's all part of that same deal. <clears throat> For you have been called to live in freedom. Freedom from what? Well, freedom from condemnation. Freedom from religion. Freedom from sin. Freedom from death. Freedom from the effects of things that you've gone through. You've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom, what? To serve one another in love. We live in a me-first world. We live in a look-out-for-number-one-first world. We live in a whiffum world. What's in it for me? We live in a selfie world. Look at me, look at me, look what I ate, look where I went, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. It makes me want to gag. We are the most selfish people. And yet we're called to serve one another in love. Now look, here it is. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Now there were chapters in the first part of this book devoted to the law what to do, what not to do, how to live, how not to live. Now all of a sudden, in like a sentence, he says, for the whole law can be summed up in one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But, see, in Scripture, they always, if, those, if like but or let or something is in there, but, and this might be a, rea a truth check for all of us, But if you are biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. We walk the walk and live victoriously, not as an individual, some hermit in a cave, but as the body of Christ. These days, it's real tempting to bite and devour people that don't think like us, don't believe like us. And I'm talking about within the church. The way we respond, is it in kindness? Or is it biting? 
Is it sarcastic? Is it critical? All right, just like the baker's dozen, you get one more. Did I give you chapter 8, verse 1? Well, don't worry about it. It's pretty simple. I didn't think I did. Very simple. So how do we do all this? And we'll get into more of this next time. But here it is. Paul says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. So I say, let the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, I gave, you know, I had a senior moment there for a second. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, though you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. How do we sum this up? The only thing that counts, faith expressing itself in love, let God's Spirit guide your life. Now you can get up and play something behind me if you want. No, I'm, if, if, if you don't mind. <laughs> I want to give us just a minute before we uh, move on to reflect. I want you just to take a minute to reflect and to examine. Now, interesting enough, in the Bible, sometimes when you hear the word judge, judge yourself, you're like, what does that mean? It means to examine yourself. In fact, the Bible encourages us to examine ourselves and make the changes. And also, you may want to just take a, a minute and ask the Holy Spirit to show you things. Because sometimes, there's just, we're not even capable of examining what's going on. And we just really need the light of God's Spirit to guide it. But remember it, right? What does Scripture say? It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so I want to give you a minute and, and just think about it as, as you take a moment just to reflect. Uh, are you saved? Have you given your life to Christ? I don't mean just said the words and walked the aisle. Okay? I mean have you surrendered your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And do you know that you're saved? Do you know that you have been made right with God? If you don't, ask him to show you that. Do I know that I'm saved and that I'm right with God? Ask yourself, what am I doing with the grace of God in my life? Do I realize Christ in me, the hope of glory? And so if that's the truth, then am I treating the grace of God as meaningless? Where do I need to depend on God's grace more? Where do I need an awareness more in my life that the very presence of God is inside of me? Where in my life have I just kind of gotten off track? Maybe God let me down, I think, or, and it's not happening fast enough, or I've asked and asked and asked, why isn't he doing it? Or maybe it's just been a slow drift, but instead of living a life in grace, and instead of living a life dependent on God's Holy Spirit, you've just taken the bull by the horns. You've grabbed the reins. you got the wheel. You're doing this thing on your own by God. Now, how's that working for you? Do I understand God's promises are true? God is the original promise keeper, and he promises me a blessed life as I receive his spirit into it. Do I have an identity crisis? Do I see myself as an old sinner? 
Do I see myself based on my past? Or do I understand that I'm a child of God? And do I understand that I'm an heir to the kingdom? I am an heir to my Father's house. We have the Father's blessing. An open heaven. His approval, His love, His spirit. We operate from that place, not for that place. Where might I be trying to go back and follow the useless principles and values and things of this world? Where has my love grown cold, maybe? Where has just maybe bitterness or anger or injustice, offense, gotten a foothold? And I do what I do, but I don't want to do what I do, and I don't like doing it. Where have I not been patient? Where have I not been kind? Where have I been keeping a record of wrong? Where have I been self-seeking? And as the Holy Spirit shows you these things, and as you confess them, that means I agree with you, God. Confession means I agree. Remember that there's much more mercy on his end than sin on yours. So just take a minute. I'll come back and close this up, and then we'll worship. Take just a minute, moment to reflect.